Morning, family. I told you last week, summer's in the air. It's happening. So nice to just feel the, a little bit of warmth. And uh, it's a real privilege for me to welcome Pastor Africa and Klope here today that is going to be sharing the word with us. He is the senior pastor uh, of the Good News Community Church in Kaweha. Um, and uh, it's uh, great to have you, sir, to have you with us. He uh, ministers in various platforms across South Africa and in different parts of the world and leads and facilitates workshops around leadership development, diversity, and also things around wellness. He's a well-respected speaker and author. And actually today we are privileged to have some of his books here that are on sale. So outside after the service, please go and avail yourself of the material. And don't just buy the books of the Americans, nothing against the Americans, but buy some South African local content, eh? Amen? Yeah. Local is lacquered, as they say. So uh, it's so welcome to have you, Africa. Won't you please join me? And won't you give him a warm, warm Hatfield welcome? And uh, we trust that you'll just have a great time sharing. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. What a privilege to have to come here. It is an awesome privilege. Amen. Thank you. Hatfield for me was always that big church I only saw when I'm passing I never thought one day I'll stand here. Look at what God has done. So, that means whatever God has done for me, he can do also for you. So, I'm not saying you'll preach at Hartford. Maybe you will, I'm not sure. Anyway, my message today is focusing on something that I think is quite important for us. Thank you, Pastor Louis. Thank you for the team, for having me, and I'm so looking forward to what God is going to do. God is doing great things in our nation despite all the negativity, all the stuff that is happening. But God has something special for this nation. And we are part of that something special. I don't know if you know this, but you're part of God's stuff. God has a secret army. You are part of that army. You may think of yourself as inconsequential, little somebody in a corner, but God knows that there's some people who are called by his name. And when we pray and seek the face of God, things are going to change. Amen. Let's just pray just briefly. Father, we thank you for this time of, of the ministry of the word. Thank you for the empowerment of your spirit. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your power and clarity. Thank you for helping us understand what you are doing this season. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 28. We're reading in verse uh, 18, well-known passage, um, where it talks about um, the, what we call the Great Commission. Um, Matthew 28, verse 18 uh, to verse 20. So um, we know this part of scripture, and I want us to just focus on that for our foundation. Jesus is speaking the words. He is someone, his disciples, up on the mountain, and he's got some instructions to give them the last instructions, the last sayings of Christ. And the thing he says to them is, all authority has been given unto me. Now that statement is powerful. It's all-encompassing. The word all means all. And amplified, it clarifies it more. It says, all power of absolute rule has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And so this statement is not a statement that's looking for an argument or is looking for whether you believe in it or not. It's simply a statement of fact that Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. So regardless of what your belief system is, regardless of your having been hostility or having an antagonistic position to this, it doesn't change that fact that Jesus Christ has been given all authority 
in heaven and on earth. So Philippians says, he's been given a name above all names, that in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and, and, and underneath the earth. So that's real whether you buy into it or not. So truth doesn't require for you to vote for it, for it to become truth. It doesn't require your consent. <laughs> Hallelujah. So we're not asking if Jesus got all authority. He's not asking if you believe it. He's just telling us. You take it or leave it. It remains true. So it means every other authority, every other spirit, every other user, every other force that has some level of authority, it is because that authority has been given to that force by virtue of somebody like you and I having partnered in a insurrection or in a, in a disobedience, in a rebellious project to take authority from Jesus and transfer it to another. Otherwise, all authority belongs to Jesus in heaven and on earth. There's no spirit, there's no principality, there's no power, there's no ruler that has authority other than what Jesus has, been, has given. That we must clarify. Because while we may live in a religiously pluralistic society, we must appreciate people's right to believe whatever they want to believe. They want to worship a tree, they want to worship a rock. But we must state this fact, that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. That that's just a fact. We must state that fact. And if we believe that, if we are convinced of that, if we are convinced that there is a man that walked the face of the earth, whose storms and winds could obey him, whose spirits could actually respond to him without him speaking, who could walk out of the boat and a man who's full of 2,000 demons can run to him and submit to him and call him El Elyon, the most high, the son of the most high God. Says Jesus, why have you come to torment us, the son of El Elyon, recognizing his divine position without being provoked? If spirits knew that, if spirit in Acts 19 could say, Paul we know, Jesus we know, who are you? In response to the sons of Sceva, it's spirits, rulers, authorities. The Bible says, if they've known about Christ, they wouldn't have crucified him. So if they know that, how much more should we be convinced of that? If they know that, invisible forces, thrones and dominions made by him and for him. If they know that, therefore the Bible says in verse 19, because of that fact, it, says, it starts the next sentence, therefore. The next sentence says, therefore. Now, therefore is a very, very interesting word. It's a word that says, in view of the facts presented above, this is the conclusion thereof. In view of what is stated above, this is the conclusion. So if you are convinced that Jesus has got all, all authority, here is the resultant behavior. Here is what you ought to do in response to that fact. The fact of Jesus having all authority, your response is to therefore go. Which means if you don't go, you are not convinced. If you don't go, you're not fully convinced. If you, if you are being held by something else, you're not convinced. You remember the day you gave your life to Jesus? I know I remember that day. I remember saying something like, I give you my life. I remember that kind of prayer. And we do that, and then we take it back. You remember the song? I surrender all. Oh, all. I surrender all. Are you sure? Because I'm not sure if there's still surrendering happening in the church today. Seems to say the church is more of a consumer space. You come for what you want, when you want, when you feel like it. He is Lord of all or is not Lord at all. That's just the bottom line. So if you gave your life to Jesus, why do you still own it? Is it co-ownership? I don't think so. 
he has full ownership. So he says, go and make disciples of all nations. So disciples are different from followers, from, from multitudes, from fans. But they are fans of Jesus, multitudes, and they are friends of Jesus. I'm not sure what you believe. You know, when you go to a soccer stadium, there's always spectators. People who have a lot of theory of how the match should be played, who have never played anything in their lives. Right? But they know who should kick what and where and how, but they've never kicked anything all their lives. Those are spectators. Have a lot of opinions of how things should be run around here. Why don't you just come and help instead of having an opinion of how we should run stuff? That would help us a lot. I don't like it. I don't like how they sang. They didn't sing my favorite songs. Oh, yes, because we haven't come to worship you. Thank you very much. The service is not about you. We have come to sing the song we believe the Lord is going to respond to, not the song you like. So since we are the standard of worship. He is. So how about you sing your favorite song at home? Yes, thank you. That makes it easy. Just go home and do your own favorite song. Make life easy. Instead of wanting to come here for us to come and pamper you and brush you this way and brush you that way. No, we haven't come here to brush you. We have come here to worship the master. Because we get up, we get caught up in this consumer mentality that people are here to do me a favor. Even when we come to God, we patronize him. We think we've come to do him a favor. Lord, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll, give you, I'll give you 40 minutes of my time and I hope you show up and solve all my life. No, it's not going to solve your life. God doesn't owe you anything. You owe him everything. That's a massive difference, right? So he says, go and make disciples. Now, the difference between disciples and uh, fan club is this. Matthew 5, 1 and 2 explains this to us. It says, when he saw the multitudes, he went up the mountain. His disciples followed him. Then he sat down and taught them. In that verse, on that portion of scripture, I don't see the multitudes forbidden from following Jesus up the mountain. They seem to have made a choice not to pay the price of going up the mountain. So fans of Jesus only follow him to a certain point, not further. When he's no longer giving them fish and loaves, they don't follow him because they think Jesus exists for them rather than the other way around. They think he owes them something. I'm not sure if you come here because you think somebody owes you something. I'm here to tell you, unfortunately, I'm going to speak and leave and Pastor Lee will sort out whatever mess I create. <laughs> I'm not from here, so I'm safe. I'm on the flight, I'm gone. I've got news for you, nobody owes you nothing here. Nobody owes you nothing. We don't owe you a good service. You owe Jesus your life. Change the mentality. You will see better when you actually change the mentality of thinking you're owed something. You are already given everything when Jesus died for you on the cross. The least you can do is to give him your life. You didn't have a life before he came to begin with. He actually helped you. Give it back. You're a thief. <laughs> you give a life and then you steal it. Don't. Leave it on the altar of Jesus. Make disciples of all nations. So we are supposed to be disciple makers. Now, obviously, you can't make disciples if you are not one. Duh. If you're running around, running away from small groups, you're not accountable to anybody. You come to a restaurant. In a restaurant, you order what you eat, what you like. You eat what you like. You leave the plate there. You sit where you like. It's a consumer mentality. You eat from a menu. Home, you make the food. You wash dishes. You participate. So we treat church as though it's a restaurant. It's a home. It's a home. 
Dishes are dirty. You, you are lazy. Nobody goes to the people and says, hey, you know my home is the cockroaches. People are going to think, but you are there, you lazy bum. That's why the cockroaches. Stand up and watch them. You don't go and tell people, you know, there's cockroaches in my house. People are going to think, huh, really? And you stay there. They can't expect you to talk about it. So you expect of you to be part of salt because now you've moved from a fan club into partake. So you're no longer a spectator, you're the partaker. You are on the field now kicking a ball a bit rather than just clapping and then having an opinion on how the ball is kicked. That's a big difference. That's what make disciples means. We follow the Lord. And it says, make disciples of all nations, okay? So you can put up my slide on a mighty man. I want to show something there that's quite interesting. So I have this privilege of attending mighty man conferences. These are conferences that are full of men, as this word says, mighty men. So if you can put up the slide. So that's me there. Don't I look good? I feel like I'm Renard Bonke there. A black Renard Bonke. Because that altar call, is an altar call, by the way, of salvation, are three and a half thousand men responding to first-time altar call to come and receive Christ. Now, before I went to Mighty Man, I felt like a, I, felt like I had a, an imposter syndrome. I felt like, why are they inviting me? Is it a B? Is it an affirmative action? Is it a quota? I felt like, like, oh, like, because it's all white people there. I don't know if you noticed. Maybe a little bit of black here and there. That guy is definitely black there in the Navy. <laughs> but listen to this. For people to respond to me calling them up front, the first thing I must deal with is myself. My imposter syndrome, my own issues. I stand there thinking, yeah, but I'm black. And they are white. And she's just sitting there in heaven thinking, what is your problem? <laughs> so there's a, there's a struggle between me and Jesus. He says, I'm anointed, I've anointed you. So I'm thinking, but I'm black. And Jesus is probably thinking, who told you you are black? Like, like really? Like, listen to this. In the garden, they said, I'm naked. We are naked. He says, who told you are naked? You know, some of you got to just, who told you are black? A creature, not a creator. You are listening to creature, not creator. He never called you black. I've got news for you. He never called you black. He never called you white. Creature did, not creator. But a product is supposed to be defined by its maker. Right? Never did. Why do they call us that? Because they want to control us. Because as soon as we belong to demographic boxes, we are then controlled by what is determining those boxes. So for me, I'm never black enough. Of course, I'm not white enough, so I don't know exactly where, where I belong to. Because I do white things, white, white people's things. <laughs> like drinking a lot of coffee. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if you noticed that. I don't know if you know where white people drink a lot of coffee. I, if you didn't know that, but I'm here to tell you, they drink a lot of coffee. I tell them there's no coffee shops in the townships. There's a reason for that. We're not about to buy overpriced coffees for 30 rand here, for the rand here. No, we buy coffee for the whole month, for the whole family. <laughs> That's just how we roll. We're not going to buy 30 rand here, 40 rand here. We don't have that money. No, we buy coffee for the whole month, for the whole family. Now, look at me. I've changed. I've become a snob. I brew coffee. I've got a machine. Please don't give me, please don't give me the coffee. I, I beg of you. I, 
If you want to punish me, you give me the coffee. Frisco, you're killing me. I grew up on Frisco. I can't be drinking Frisco right now. I like, I'm dying. I can't be drinking Frisco. I'm like, I don't know what that thing is. Do you call it coffee? It's coffee, right? So I just say, I know I just, I'll have water, please, mommy. Pastor, can I make you coffee? Mom, can I have coffee, please? Can I have water, please? I'm like, no, I can't do, not Frisco, not, not again. I've moved on. This is why people have messed me up. My palate has changed, right? But there are things that are happening because of culture, right? They, I mean, I do things, we ride horses, we go to my team, we stay. Now, when people want me to stay in a tent, that's like, the, the, the thing is true to stay in a tent, we grew up in tents. Okay, a tent for us is like, a tent for us is trauma. So why stay in a tent? You think it's adventure, I'm thinking you're taking me back to my trauma days. And I'm saying, I'm not staying in a tent. Get me a B&B or some guest house somewhere. The things you are used to, I want them, it's my time now. I'm not staying on a tent. So you think you're staying in a tent and there's elephants walking around. I mean, black people don't want to be sitting in a place with elephants walking around. I was once in a place called Robinson, so one area in this Western Cape. So I arrived here, took, it's two kilometers into the bush from the main road. So this guy tells me, when you take a walk, just be careful of leopards. <laughs> like that, just like that. Be careful of leopards. Who's going to take a walk? Right? I never took a walk. I mean, who's going to take a walk? How do I become careful of leopards? How? How, like, like how? What way? How can I become careful of leopard? A leopard, I mean, what do I do? So what we did there is that I had a hired car. So the place got solar. There's no electricity. Got solar. So, you, so I parked the car, and then I wait, because I must leave the car lights on because it's dark, so I can go and open my, the, my, my bungalow and switch on. So I go and quickly open the bungalow, but I must go back and switch off the car's lights. Sure, we should have much. That whole back and forth thing. So now I must switch off the car. If I don't switch off the car, I'm out of battery. So the time I go back to the car, I'm thinking the leopard is probably thinking, oh, I'm going to eat you now. So it was always traumatic. And then we go to other camps, they tell us, they sell us in some way, in Eastern Cape, they've got this camp, vineyard. They sell us, this place is full of snakes, let's be careful of snakes. Tell us, like, when you when the snakes, they tell us you must just make sure you make noise. I'm like, I'm a black person. Me and snakes. We don't, there's no relationship. There's eminent. So they say, no, just, just make a noise. I'm like, you shouldn't have told me. Because now to fall asleep is difficult. People, people imagine what kind of thing a snake is coming in the window, like, they think anaconda. A snake chasing them down the road. They've got all the movies in their minds. Snakes don't do that, please. They don't chase you down the road, right? So have that picture out of your mind. So we've got a lot of stuff that we deal with in terms of culture. And uh, one of the words that God gave me, it reminded me as we're doing worship here because I felt it so relevant for this meeting. I hear a word when we a church in, in Queenstown. And it's interesting, it was an African church, and God gave me a word. It says to me, tell my people, those who are referred to as black people, not to repeat the mistakes of those who trust us in the color of their skin. The advantage is not in the skin, but in the spirit. That's what God spoke to me. So, I don't have an advantage in my skin. Now, people tell me this organ, this part of the body called the skin, which is the biggest organ in my body, they tell me my identity, is, my culture is based on this, on the skin. 
Yet when somebody dies, we, we say we're going to view someone's body. So my body is not who I am. My body is what contains me. And my culture is formed on the basis of my body. But you say my culture defines who I am, but I'm not my body. This is a secular argument. I'm not my culture. My culture doesn't define me. I define it. Because I'm not my body. My culture depends on my body. So culture is you and I being governed by dead people. Oh, yes. It's you being ruled by dead people. Because you don't start the culture, you only follow it. Culture started by a few, but followed by many. Culture is behavior, not biologic. It's generational, not genetic. It's nature, not nature. There's no culture in my genes. See, this body is biology, it's not culture. If I don't eat RGA, recommended daily allowance, this body will be affected. He has no belief, there's no ideology here. This body is purely a neutral entity. So there's nothing that will happen to this body if I don't practice certain cultural things. They tell me growing up, if I don't do certain cultural practices, I'll never have children, I'll never get married. But it's a lie because I'm not defined by my culture. And I have children without necessarily having done any cultural practice. So all the stuff we grew up believing, I was in Pretoria one year and doing a conference, and the conference theme was decolonizing the faith. An African gentleman walks up to me and tells me, we Africans have a covenant with God. I said, no, you don't. He says, we are not our forefathers. I said, oh, you're confused. You are confused. No one like that. It is no place. All of us come to God on the, on, on the same level. We, we are sinners. There's no special place for you. And so I had to explain to this man who thought he's got a special place in God, and you don't have a special place in God. There's two groups of people in the Bible. There's Jews and Gentiles, I remind them. But both of us are Gentiles. You just think you're a better Gentile than me. But we're both Gentiles. His eyes were I said, no, you're not special before God. As a result, if you don't want to worship with other people of other racial groups, ethnic groups, Zimbabweans, Malawians, Nigerians, white, black, Africaners, if you don't want to worship with them, I, I just have an advice for you. Don't go to heaven. Like, don't, don't, don't go to heaven. Heaven for you will be an eternal nightmare. <laughs> you wake up there, the Chinese are there in, in plenty. Yes, it's not your heaven. You are a visitor there than them. So here on earth, we're here to, to do a trial run, to work this thing out. If you don't work it out here, you'll have a nightmare there. I'm not going to mention names, but some well-known bishop in South Africa, which most of you would know, said a statement, says, if God is, I want, if God is homophobic, she says, I want to go to a homophobic heaven, he said. He's, he's passed away now. He says, I want to go to a homophobic heaven. So I don't know where he is now. Because he's dead. So there's, there's two options here. There's two options. It's heaven or the other place. It's God or the other guy. He's ready for you. I grew up being told he's got a fork. Of course, I know it's not true. He tosses, he turns you up and down, makes sure you're bright on both sides and the bright on the other side. I don't want to go there myself. I don't want to go there. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be bright. So I would rather go to heaven. So for me to go to heaven, I must get used to God's people right here. Hallelujah. <laughs> So, so, now I don't speak Afrikaans, I, I speak, a, I hear a little bit of Afrikaans, so I go around people and the places are full of Afrikaans people. So I don't speak a lot of Afrikaans, I just know the lot of Khez. Khedis, Khe, Khe. Khe, 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 Khe
So they speak from the shoulder. What language is this? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I just know that God wants to use us. And, but for him to use us, we have to appreciate the fact that we are caught up in, the, in these kind of things. We're married into earthly issues that he wants us to come out of and embrace his kingdom, right? Some of you may be aware now of the resurgence of African spirituality and African religion, even celebrities and people becoming Sangomas. And it's like fashionable. Look, we grew up with Sangomas when we grew up, right? It's, we, we know that. It's like, but we didn't have them everywhere, like every corner, even children. Today's ancestors are very impatient. Today's underground gang is very impatient. As soon as you're born, you're called. No waiting. I've never seen ancestors that are so impatient like the ones of today. Yo, yo, yo. And ancestors by themselves generally, of course, they're always angry. I think you know that. Ancestors, no, they're never not angry. They, they're angry like permanently. They've got mood problems. Every time you visit Sangom, ancestors are angry. All the time. And of course, you know what happens, ne? Somebody's angry and they want bread or, or, or meat or, or water or drink, which people slaughter and they eat the meat. Finish. Give the ancestor bones. <laughs> so th- for me, I'm very logical. I'm like, who was hungry? <laughs> you or the ancestors? Because. And then they are thirsty. We get the alcohol, <laughs> one cap of, of alcohol on the ground, and please, it's diffusion in science, nothing spiritual about it. Liquid, soil. No one drank it, come on. Ancestors are okay now. I think the ancestors want to get people drunk and people gluttonous, if they're the ancestors. So what I deal with people, I go to Luke chapter 16, this is what I do, when I do funerals, I go to Luke 16, verse 90 to verse 31, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. I go there, I mess people up there a little bit. I go there, and there, rich man dies, Lazarus dies, you know the parable, both die. People say, yes, pastor, even the rich, they die. Yes, except the story continues. Rich man goes to hell, Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom, paradise. And then in that story, it's the rich man who's talking a lot. Lazarus is quiet. The rich man, first thing he does, can you send Lazarus? So he's still sending. I'm like, hey, where are you? You've been sending people when you were alive. In the afterlife, you're still sending. Hey, what's wrong with you? Can you send Lazarus? He's so used to sending people around. <laughs> and Abraham says, that can't happen. And then he says, can you send him? Because I am thirsty here. I'm in torment in this fire. He's asking for water. The rich man in hell. So, I've got news for you. If your ancestor, your grandma, or grandfather is complaining of being thirsty in the afterlife, so, so you can see where this is going, right? <laughs> grandma didn't make it. Unfortunately, they're on the other side. You can't be in heaven and be thirsty. The water of life is there. John 4 says, the woman of the world, he says it to her. She didn't make it. Says the woman of the world, if you drink of this water, you shall thirst again. But if you drink of this water, you shall never thirst again. If heaven can be uncomfortable, what kind of a God are we serving? People can be in heaven and be cold and thirsty and hungry. And God is there. How do we trust that God will sort out life here if he does a mess up there in heaven? Makes no sense to me. 
And sometimes people say, my grandma is my guardian angel. Me, I say, what happened to the angels who were guarding you before grandma dies? Are they retired now? <laughs> Tweeting their thumbs, oh, grandma has taken over. I have no job now. No, the Bible says it's given its angels charge over you to keep in all your ways. They are ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. So grandfather, grandma, dad didn't, doesn't take over from the, from the age. There was a man who came here in, in Empire's Palace in Johannesburg. His name is Jonathan Edwards. He's a psychic who crosses over. That place was full of white people. I must announce that as, as, as a disclaimer. Black people were not there. Paid 300 and something rands to go and listen to this man talking to their dead relatives. So he will say, I see a woman with a red jersey. Oh, yes, that's my auntie. She loved the red jersey. <laughs> now it's not. You see, it's a familiar spirit. Right? You can't talk to dead people because they are dead. It's like, duh. They are dead. You can't talk to dead people. I mention all these things to say that when we make disciples or when we do discipleship, we have to be conscious of the context. I mean, we're listening, we're watching this thing, Cape, when we're hearing stories of you guys in Gauteng eating grass and drinking petrol. We looked at them on TV like, I mean, we know you're doing, great, you're doing amazing things and great things, but must you do even this? I mean, we know you're a province of kind, like the richest, your richest, but must you like, you know, must you pioneer and, and, and I mean, grass? I mean, when did you become cows now? So we watched them. Because people did those things because they were not redeemed from an African spirituality mindset. African religion is based on how to maximize fortune, how to minimize misfortune. That's African religion. It's not based on the worship of God. The idea of God is simply there, an idea. When you hear people say, but we have always believed in God prior to the arrival of missionaries. No, no. We've always believed in the idea of God. The identity of God was never revealed. That's why there are different derivative names of God throughout the world. But to know God is different. John 17 verse 3, this is salvation that they may know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So knowing God and knowing about God are two different things. So don't patronize God and say we've always known about him. God doesn't, doesn't need to be patronized and flattered. He needs submission. So to say we've always known about God but we don't worship or submit to him is simply patronizing God. And that I won't, that I won't cut it with God. So we, we hear that when people defend themselves against with the practices. So what God is expecting of us, all of us sitting here today, is to understand that we, have, we all have marching orders. There's no special people that God has called. I may be in ministry, but we are equal in value, but different in function. We're all equal. My function is something different. So my function doesn't make me superior. It just makes me distinct. It just means I've heard and I've responded to God. So, but God is expecting all of us to be on duty. Because all of us are disciples. And by virtue of being disciples, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, the things you've heard of me, entrust them to faithful people who will in turn entrust them to others. So, I have a lady right now in our church, small frame lady who's in the worship team, and she just never speaks in church. She's just a quiet person. She got called to go to South Sudan uh, with an Anglican group. And she had to teach discipleship. She's never spoken in church a word. She ended up having to speak for three hours in some villages. She come back with a report. She's shocked at herself at how much capacity she has. Well, she thought she knows nothing. I said, discipleship is actually taking what you know 
and pouring it out. It's not about knowing the whole Bible. It's not about being a theologian or being a master of the whole Bible. Is Your testimony is the first entrance of sharing the Bible. What God has done in your life. It's not some complicated Greek or Hebrew. It's like John, the man who was born blind, John 9. The story of that man is simple. I don't know what you think about Jesus. There's one thing I do know. I was blind, and now I can see. Your stories about Jesus are your stories. How? My situation is simple. I was blind, and now I can see. That's what I know. Don't get me into complicated discussion about who and what and what. I just know I was blind, and now I can see. I don't have to be complicated about what Jesus has done in my life. What Jesus has done in my life is very, very basic. I know it. I've lived this life. I've been here for over 40 years. I've lived this life. So I know what this life, which direction it was going until Christ rescued it. I was on my way to hell very fast. <laughs> right? And it snatched me out and it directed me to a different direction. That's much I know. Right? And so your family members are looking at you. You are the first minister your family or friends are going to encounter, not people like me. Because they trust you. There's rapport between you and them. So they trust you to talk about what Jesus has done in your life. And we are holding back. We're holding back because we are afraid of being uh, called Jesus freaks. I did this myself. When I went to a church service, I saw 1997 or whatever, I got born again. I saw people, I thought they were crazy. I thought they were cuckoo. I thought they were not all, not, not all that, all that. And really, Christians then did not look like they were all that. I'll be honest with you. I mean, let's be honest. They were not fashioned, they didn't like fashion, they didn't cut their hair, they were told not to cut their hair, it's like the guitars were of the devil. They were like, they, they look unattractive. You ask him, how, is, how did Bafana Fana play? Jesus loves you. How are you, Jesus loves you? I'm like, can't you speak anything now? I know Jesus loves you. So I didn't want to be associated with those people. I thought, these people are going to give, they will embarrass me. They, they wasn't, wasn't So I didn't want to be around them. I walked into a service and they were, and you know, you know, in a meeting, crusade, they call it then, and in that crusade, there was a group from here in Johannesburg, and actually in Sebukian, in G-Fact, and Israel Mosesha, and they were singing there. Now, I've never been in Anglican church. I've never seen worship. I've only known hymns. Hymn 23. Amen. Like, that's worship. Duh, like, we're finished. Now, I go to a place, people are worshiping, eyes closed, hands lifted up, and I'm like, Wonderful gift, talent, vocally. I just thought it was a waste of talent because I thought if they can sing R&B because they were like, baby, I love you. They'll go far. I just thought, I was into R&B, like a role, a role, boys to men, Jordan. I'm like, wonderful talent. So just wonderful gifts, but a waste of talent. I didn't know anything about Jesus. Although I was in church all my life until I went to that place. And by the time the preacher uh, made an altar call, he says, those who want to give their life to Jesus, put up your hand. And goes out. My friends are like, and no? I also don't know what's going on. Come to the front, I come to the front. Pray this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, Jesus, I, I, I give my life, I give my life. I, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. I didn't just walk into the front of a church. I walked out of hell. In the flesh, it looked like I'm simply walking in front of the church building. But in the spirit, I was walking out of hell. Right. And listen to this as we bring this to a close. The people who did this, the pastor who planted that church in 1996 in PE, spent 78, 90, sorry, 96,000, 96,000 in 19, no, 78,000, sorry, I'm mixing them out, 78,000 in 1996. Black man from Sibokin. Of his own money, 
to reach this soul. So I thought about it later on in reflection that God had to send a person and take him out of his comfort zone, Zulu speaking, Sotho speaking, um, and go to Tosa speaking people, foreign people, foreign culture, spend his money, rent a house, find a space, rent a hall, bring people in order to win this soul. So why would I hold this thing with me when somebody else spends so much to reach me? After that, many other people invested in producing who I am. I'm not a self-made man. I'm a product of many people who have invested. So I tell people, if you're looking for the next Africa, what investments are you making to produce one? Instead of being impressed by one, how about reproducing many? By making the same investments others have made to produce me. It's not a magic, this thing. It's predictable. So my challenge to you is this. What legacy are you going to leave behind for Christ in this earth? What people are you going to meet in heaven who would say, it is because of you that I'm here? It's not multitudes. It's not like you are supposed to reach a million. It might be five, it might be two. The person who reached out to Billy Graham, actually Billy Graham was the only convert in that meeting. And it's Billy Graham who reached out to millions. So if you quit back this thing, you are... You're being selfish, sorry to use the word, to be crude. You think salvation is only about you. It's come to you, but also come to your household. So I want to encourage us today. South Africa is desperately in need of light. The problem of darkness, light, darkness will always be darkness. The problem is not darkness, but it's a light that refuses to shine. It's salt that wants to stay in the salt shaker. That's why the country is what it is right now. 70% Christian country, they tell us the highest, one of the highest murder rates in the world. 53 people being killed every day. But suppose we're a Christian country. It means there's something wrong with the type of Christianity we are practicing. So as we close, I want to pray for you if you, if, you are, if you don't mind. I want to pray for you. My prayer is this, that God will stir you up. That God will reignite your passion for the lost. That God will make you an instrument. You know, like I showed up at a mighty man timid and wondering that God will work through your fears and issues and insecurities and show that you are an instrument that he can use. Right now, I preach around the world and I talk to audiences around the world and I get all the time, I still get amazed as to, is it really happening? I want to pinch myself. But I realize I am always going to have that the more conscious I am of myself, the more conscious you are of yourself, the less conscious you are of your God. The more conscious of our God, the less conscious of ourself. So if I'm conscious of me, I'm less conscious of him. But if I'm conscious of him, I'm less conscious of me. And I can do the job. Because I'm not the one doing it, it's him through me. Can we stand together? So I'm going to pray that through this Meeting, through our lives, we will, they will say of us one day, the people who have turned the world upside down have come here also. That we will see the fire of God in South Africa ignited again. We are a lot of people here. If two or three are gathered and is in the midst, there's certainly more than two gathered here. He must be in the midst of us. So I want to pray that Jesus will stir you up with fire. And the fire of the Holy Spirit will be ignited in your life once again. 
the fire, the embers of revival that have burned out will be ignited once again, and we will see the power of God. Saints, when I make an altar call in a place like my Man, I get to be, when you listen to me, you saw me on those videos and you watch me, you will not believe I'm the same person who's come because I get to be in another place. I wear another ja jacket, another mantle. I wear Jesus. I come and I make this appeal. God makes this appeal through me. I come conscious of that he wants them. I'm not the one wanting them. I just allow him to draw them through me. I just become the person he wants me to be. And he can change all of us. Father, we come to you this morning in this congregation. We pray for a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Pray for an igniting of the Holy Spirit once again. That this congregation, like many others around the country, would again get catch the urgency of what you have called us, which is to make disciples of all nations. That this nation would be discipled, oh God, not just having converts, but disciples of Jesus Christ. Those who follow you for who you are, not for what you can do. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just convict us once again of who we are in you. That we are not just ordinary people. We have, an, we have extraordinary people. We are supernatural beings who are having an ordinary experience, a natural experience. But we are in this place, but not of this place. Help us to catch our true mission, our true calling as children of God. And break out of the cocoon, break out of the enclaves, break out of all the stuff that we've allowed humans to, to, to box us in. And know that we are more than conquerors through Christ that give us strength. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Buzon, I wonder if you just take your seat for a moment and then I'm going to end. Thank you for that, Africa, for sharing. And uh, I trust that something's been stirred in your heart this morning, but I do feel it is also appropriate for us to give an opportunity for people to say, today's my day. I'm going to step out of hell. I want to step into that which the Lord Jesus has for me. And if you know this, but Elvis Presley, this remarkable, celebrated human being that experienced the best of what the world could offer, was found dead in his bathroom. The last thing he did, he was sitting on the toilet and he was reading a book, The Science of Jesus. And he died from drug overdose while looking for something he received the best this world could offer but he was left empty because the best is not found in this world outside of Jesus the best is Jesus with holes in his hands that came and said I've died for you and I believe there's people it may be one or two here in the room joining us online that today may be the day where you say, I want to stop looking. I want Jesus to find me. So can we just close in a moment of prayer? Father, I thank you for your spirit among us right now in Jesus' name. <clears throat> thank you, Jesus. We can't save people. It's not our job to convict people we just make room for you Holy Spirit but we would want to we wouldn't want to miss an opportunity for somebody to say 
Save me, Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, I want Jesus to find me. I'm going to stop running or stop trying to do this on my own. Why don't you just raise your hand right where you're seated now and I want to just pray for you. I see a number of hands going up. Just keep them up. Just raise your hand. Holy Spirit, I pray for your presence with everyone whose hands raised right now. If you're joining us online and your hands raised, just I pray for God's presence with you. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Do a new thing. Bring new life here today. In Jesus' name. Can I ask you all to pray this prayer out loud with me? Just say, dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Give me life. In Jesus' name. I wonder if those that have raised your hand, if you would like Africa said, just come today and our team's going to be ready with you, wait for you and pray with you. If the pastors and the team can come from forward already and just wait for you. If you've raised your hand, it's going to take a couple of minutes. Come forward and let one of them pray with you. Let one of them just look you in the eye, spend a moment with you and perhaps there's ways that we can help you in this journey. So right now, if you've raised your hand, I'm going to release the congregation soon. But I want you to have an opportunity. Just you welcome to come to the front. Come right now. If you've raised your hand, just come and say, this is today is my day. Today is the moment. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Come Dave, the whole congregation, if you can stand with me. I'm going to, I'm going to release you all. But if you still want to come forward, please come. Please come. There's more people coming. If you're coming from the balcony, just get your belongings and just come and let us pray with you. Just thank you so much. Lord, we thank you that every single one of us who knows you, we have been tasked with this greatest privilege to go and be the witnesses of your rulership and of your kingship. And so I pray for every believer and today again, we commission you in Jesus' name to go onto your front line, to teach, to preach, to share, to tell the stories of what Jesus has done and is doing in your life and what it means to be under His rulership. May the Lord bless you. May He keep you. May His presence go with you. His face shine upon you. May he give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us. Please remember, if you want to find out more about our church, you're so welcome to join Letitia in the foyer hall. She'll be there with you. Those of you that want to sign up for the men event that's going to happen, or those of you that are wanting to become members and do life changes, go to the booth out there also. And the book sales, please go and help yourself and go and get one of Africa's books. May the Lord bless you.